Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Moore. So this week on the podcast, we have Claire Monley. Claire is an actor and a writer based here in Dublin who you'll best know from her roles on Moon Boy. She's coming up in Alison Spittle's new show, Nowhere Fast. Uh, she's also been right across the Irish theatre scene uh, in The Gate, in The Project. Uh, she's a really wonderful actor and uh, her show, Charlie is a Klepto, uh, has been in, in the Axis in Ballymun and I hope it's going to come back because uh, I saw it a couple of years ago and it's absolutely smashing. Uh, guys, other than that, we have our live show done and dusted by the time you're listening to this. It's Friday morning as I record this introduction. Uh, the show is going to be tonight with Jared at Regan, he's going to be chatting to Roddy Doyle right after with an Irishman abroad. It's so exciting, it's our first ever live show, hopefully the first of many. Uh, I hope you guys came out, if you didn't, shame on you. Um, and yeah, it's a really exciting time for us. Uh, the Dublin Podcast Festival is right in the middle of itself. Uh, now, as you're listening to this uh, on Sunday, hopefully uh, there's going to be loads more to come. The Irish Women's Podcast, What's the Story Podcast, Alison Spittle, Juvenalia, No Encore, Dublin Podcast with Relish, Welcome to Night Vale, Brian Reed on Creating S-Town. There's loads of stuff and I urge you to go out and support that. Um, other than that guys, uh, I'm just going to leave you to get stuck in to Claire Munley playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. Tom Moran's Personality So, Claire Munley, you ready to play personality bingo with Tom Moran? Yes, I am. I said that as fast as I could. Right, we're off to a start. I better take out my phone just to keep an eye on the time, you know, because that's mm-hmm. important. Uh, right, so I'll give a quick explainer uh, for everyone listening at the start. So I have 60 balls in here, 60 questions in this sheet, going to put 60 minutes on the clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've given you five numbers there. Would you mind reading out the five numbers that you have? Yes, 5, 17, 48, 50 and 24. Okay. Uh, would you do me a favour and pick a sixth number uh, between 1 and 60? Yes, what are you going to go for? I'm going to go for 33. Ooh, interesting. Is it, though? The you probably can gauge something about me that's really negative from that. Do you think? I don't know. I feel like I feel like I picked it on a whim and now I'm regretting it. Is that somehow. when G- Jesus died? He was 33, was he? Yeah. Me and Jesus, man. Do you have some Christ like complex that. going on? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay, and so I should explain. Now, it's never happened, but it's, it's, it's been really close that if... You, we managed to get through all of your numbers and they all come out then you get to turn around and ask me any question that you oh, want oh brilliant okay so I'm, I'm literally taking them off like actual bingo yeah yeah if you get it I, I, I should warn you that sometimes people whitewash sometimes people get five and no one has got all six in an episode so, are you serious but you did pick the number of our I Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ so, so. I'm flying already it, it, like, it, I'm shooing he's, uh, he's surely on your side he's on my that. side he's yeah. on my side uh, alright well let's just dive in and give it a spin let's go for it Okay, nice one. All right, we're starting with number 40. Do you have it? No, I do not. Okay, no worries. Question number 40 is... Oh, we're going right in there. Um, what is your relationship to social media? Social media? Um, yeah, I really enjoy it. I don't really have... I know people kind of give out quite a bit about it, mm. but um, I think if you can use it in a... Oh, I'm starting off really wanky already. If you can use it in a mindful way. Mm. So it's amazing for keeping in touch with people. I mean, I'm, I've found people on there who... You know, from your childhood who you never would find otherwise. Maybe you're living in different parts of the world now and, you know, you get to see pictures of their kids and it's amazing for that kind of thing. Um, it's amazing for promoting work. Like, yeah. you can't say enough about the free promo that you get from social media, especially mm-hmm. if you're doing your own work and you haven't got any cash, like we all know. Yeah. Uh, well, um, it's 
yeah, it's invaluable. Twitter, f- Facebook, Instagram, the whole lot. I can't get on board with Snapchat. I think I'm just too old. Yeah, I'm the like, same. I, 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 I downloaded, I was using it for a bit. It melted my brain. I had to delete it. Do you know what I found with Snapchat? And I, I you could put the same argument against Instagram, but for whatever reason, it doesn't happen. With Snapchat, I like used to get, like, if I seen like a bunch of like three mates out together, as they're like, of course, I'd be kind of like, hmm. total FOMO. Like why, why aren't I there? And I wasn't I invited. I just like, I'm not subjecting myself to that because yeah. it feels crap. And I think like, you've got face. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram and then I downloaded Snapchat and I was like, you've gone too far. Mm. Like as in like, too much of your life now is dedicated to checking what everybody else is doing. Yeah. So I think, like I said, if you can use it in a mindful way, if you can shut it off when you know it's how, because I know it can have a negative effect. Like it's tough, you know, um, because everyone has a, a self that they portray on social media that isn't real. Right. But once you know that, once you like, you know, that picture of her looks incredible. She did not look like that this morning. She looked like me this morning. Yeah. Like, you know, once you can be a bit aware that that's the case. And everyone, I mean, like, I do it too. Everyone, put, like, puts forward their their best self on social media. Mm-hmm. So once you can know that that's, and also once you can not fall down the tri- Twitter rabbit hole of having a row with somebody... Like I just responded to somebody on Twitter there now and my phone is on airplane mode now and I'm dreading turning it back on. It was, uh, oh yeah, there's a, Ivan Yates is going back on News Talk okay. instead of Chris and Sarah who have been doing that show recently. Um, And the response to it was just all given this girl, this, um, this radio DJ loads of stick. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she's really bossy. That was the one that I responded to. She's very bossy. And I responded and said, would you call her bossy if she was a dude? Right. But why did I do that, Tom? Yeah. Why did I fall down the Twitter rabbit hole? Because I'm going to get into a row with this dude now and he's probably just some sad little man at home in his ma's gaff. I know. With nothing better to do than slag off women on Twitter. So that's that's the danger. Yeah. The I, rabbit hole. It's so weird. Like, I, I often... I, and I don't know how true it is. I like to fantasise that if I wasn't, for example, like, yeah, r- like writing stuff and doing podcasts and stuff and mm-hmm. didn't have stuff to push no more than yourself, I'd be like... I, I fantasize about like I just wouldn't be on it. Yeah, I'd be way too cool to be on social media. That's not that's not true. I know that's not true. I loved it. I was listening to a podcast and it, they were talking about. Do you know your man Aziz Ansari? Yes, he I read ma- his book. Right, it's, it's great. Yeah, and he has masters in none, which is doing super well. Great. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he's apparently like just off everything. Like I don't even right. think he has an email. Everything you know, he obviously has people that can yes, handle all that totally. stuff for him. But he's just off. He has a flip phone. That's it. Like n- that is gas. No nothing. But I can't imagine what it's like to be someone like him. I mean. Sometimes I don't like Twitter and those kind of things getting in on your life a little bit. You know, you have to have a kind of a line. Yeah. But like he's f- super famous. So mm-hmm. he ha- on Twitter he's probably getting just... I think people just abuse famous people because they feel they have this weird direct line to them in a way that you never would have had before Twitter. Mm. You have like... You basically can't speak to somebody who you admire or dislike or take a dislike to for some ridiculous reason so I'd say that becomes pretty intense and pretty overwhelming if you're a famous person I would not enjoy that yeah and like did like when you were with like Moonboy and, and things like that like that's probably is it fair to say that was the most like prominent totally thing? yeah like, 100% did did you ever have negative feedback come from that like online uh, no I think I think we were very lucky with in terms of Moonboy with the response that it got was really overwhelmingly positive mm. I think we were very lucky with that because obviously it's. I think sometimes being an actor is like being a footballer. So like, like not very many people in the world can do it, but everyone's an expert. Yeah. So like, <laughs> you are subjected to that because, and like people will say, you put yourself up there, you put yourself in the public eye, so you're kind of like good enough for you type of thing. 
But at the end of the day, I certainly didn't. I know more than you did, I'm sure. Mm. I didn't get into this to be famous, like that's, or, or to make money, because that would have been foolish. Yeah. Um, so you get into it for the love of it and you don't really think about that side of things. No, I really, I went fairly under the radar for that. The response, all the responses I got via social media were all super positive. Yeah. Uh, like, like I literally didn't have a negative, a negative response at all. It was just people really loving the show. And even now, sometimes people respond and uh, knowing you from like as Fidelma, which like I'll never not be delighted about or proud of because I'm, I'm really proud of the show. So no, but then like you have like, I was walking down the street with Chris O'Day one day and someone was like, all right, Chris O'Dowd. And he's just, and he's like, yeah, yeah, cool. You know, and I, but that's really weird to me. Yeah. Because we were just having a normal conversation and then some complete randomer. And like in a very nice, positive way. And I, But that was probably, I was thinking like, that was probably a really pleasant interaction. Whereas I'm sure there are ones that aren't pleasant. 100%. If someone you know, has like a few points and totally, gets a bit Totally. And I think like, I think in Ireland particularly, we, I think we tend to leave people alone to a certain degree. As in like, we're like, ah, leave them to it. I wouldn't, or we'd be too shy or too, or also don't want them to get like a big head. So we're like, there's Bono, don't look at him. He'll yeah. get a big, he'll get a big head. Yeah. But then when there's drink on board, we're all a bit more likely to be like, oh, I love you, aren't we? Yeah, I think, so. I think so. It, 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 it must it, be overwhelming, like at times, if you're an actual famous person. 100%. I, like, I, I am, um, I think it was just on Twitter, I follow Alison Spittle, and I know you're doing her new show, which sounds she's a wonder, like the, the coolest thing. And obviously she does her podcast with the guys ahead stuff and everything. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, you know, she was like uh, talking about the fact that the show was going on and how, like I think she's talked quite open about it. Like sometimes the people will just, like anyone who's in the public eye will just like abuse them. Yeah. For no because reason. Because they're an easy target. And, and because you have this weird access to them now via Twitter and things like 100%. that. 100%. And it's so weird because like that would be like for me as an actor and a writer, like that'd be like, what what's ha- happening for her career now so well deserved by the way but that would be like a dream of mine I'd love to have something like that totally you know to be writing and being in yeah. stuff and then you're like and it's so weird because then the minute it happens like it's obviously so great for a minute and then you're like all the things happen like first of all I have to do I have to try do it the best I can yeah all these and things, massive and then pressure just understand that like people are just going to hate on it because people hate totally. on everything and I think there's a weird like I think um, there's a weird phenomenon in the world and uh, well maybe not particularly in Ireland but in the world um, I like to call it the Ed Sheeran effect. So Ed Sheeran was super, super popular. Everyone loved his music. Everyone loved him. He was sound out the door. He'd buy you cans. And like, like it just seemed to peak and plateau at a certain point. Recently enough, like in the last year, yeah. where everyone has just turned on him and just hates him now. And like it wasn't, there wasn't any seismic shift. There wasn't any thing that he did to like upset people. He didn't all of a sudden turn racist or anything. Mm. But all of a sudden people just have decided they, can hate him now and I think that happens with people as well like it's like even McGregor to a certain degree like everyone loves the underdog and you're like everyone's backing him and backing him and backing him and backing him and oh my god I can't believe I brought McGregor this certain my husband would be delighted <laughs> um, and then he hits a certain point and everyone's like oh he's got a bit big for his boots now and he's not that humble anymore and he's not that modest anymore he was never modest or humble he was never any of those things mm. he hasn't changed the persona at all but all of a sudden now he's you know he's really making the money and he's really I think people start to kind of try and take you down a peg or two yeah. and I think Alison like will experience that a bit or maybe has already to some degree like it's like when you're struggling and struggling and struggling everyone's like oh yeah come on we're, we're with you and then you kind of hit a bit of a point where people go oh a little bit mm-hmm. I think it happens I think oh, it, it, like to, I think it's happened to loads of people like 
Jennifer Lawrence or like someone mentioned that because I did this on Facebook a little while ago about the Ed Sheeran effect and someone mentioned Jennifer Lawrence and I was like that's so true when she was coming up she was like getting nominated for Oscars everyone loved her loved her loved her loved her loved her and then there comes a point and like she's not changing she's always been very outspoken and very uh, forthcoming in her opinions and everything and then all of a sudden people are like nah don't like her anymore and the tide just kind of turns. It's a really fascinating thing to watch. Yeah. But it must be awful to be on the receiving end of. Yeah, I wonder like how, like I wonder what the, you wonder what the way to deal with it is, is to just ignore that it's happening and as you said, like try not be on social media. Or totally. To, to well, Ed Sheeran came off Twitter and he said it was literally because I couldn't help look at the mean stuff people were saying and it was really mean. Yeah. Like he used the word mean. He was just like, it was unnecessarily mean. Yeah. So he just came off it. Fair, like, yeah. Totally. 100%. Yeah, you got to mind yourself out there, man. It, Absolutely, like because people, I think it's like, I used to work in customer service as well, and you're like a voice on the end of the phone. Right. And I always thought, and I still maintain it, that people speak to people on the phone in a way that they'd never speak to you to your face. Because you're like a faceless representative of this company they're really fucking annoyed at. Um, whereas if you were in front of them and you were just Tom, this dude, just trying to do his job, there'd be way less. So that like is amplified on social media because you literally will you know never come face to face with this person they just represent something that for some reason gets under your skin it's amazing um, like do you ever have like do you ever have that even with like like one of my best friends in the world and we never like argued before we got into an argument once and it kind of in 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 person and we never kind of settled it and it was just this like bad blood i'm talking for like a day a few hours and then we started texting about it and it, it it was escalating and escalating and escalating because they were like words that they were reading and they couldn't hear like your tone your of tone. voice or your intention. Yeah. They couldn't even see the humanity in you. So you just build up this straw man of like... 100%. They're a prick now. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And, and it's, really, it's really easy to dislike somebody or even to hate somebody from afar, from yeah. a distance. But like when they're right in front of you, like you say, you can see the humanity in somebody and it's much more difficult, which is, which is right, which is the way it should be. You, sh- you, should, you shouldn't be able to abuse somebody from afar no. but unfortunately that's the downside maybe to social media yeah we're just not like we're just not designed as humans like our brains don't work that way do no. you know what I mean you can't you're like, not it, designed to communicate in 140 characters that's no clearly we've just spent about 24 hours answering that one question that you asked me yeah I know yeah it's, so. it's my tactic so you don't win <laughs> <laughs> well move on move yeah, yeah. on alright let's see um, have a goal right we have number 52 do you have that one damn it no I do not okay no worries no worries this is already an underdog story and we realise we like the underdog yeah so this is 100%. good 100% <laughs> okay number 52 uh, when was the last time you wrote a letter a letter yeah this oh may my be god my, my favourite question even... oh um I wrote a letter to um, my husband, my then fiance, when he was, um, he was, a, oh, he actually wasn't my fiance. Anyway, he was in London um, on a job for like three months. Um, so we we're going to be living in different countries for three months, which is, you know, the nature of our work and it happens quite a bit, but that was going to be the longest we'd ever spent apart. Um, and I got all romantic when he left and like sent him off with little gifts, one of which was this really nice writing paper and these really nice envelopes. Um, so he went off and I sat down and wrote him this lovely letter that I'm sure he still has stashed away somewhere safe um, that was really romantic and brilliant. And then like never got one back. No. No, <laughs> he never bothered to write me a letter back nightmare but to be fair we did we were back and forth for the three months but yeah he like i don't think he's ever used that writing writing pad in fact i'm going to take it back because it's really nice paper and it's a bit of a waste 
Um, so that's yeah, that was that was with the last time I actually wrote a letter. That's hilarious that you like you armed him with the the materials to get back what to, you wanted. Like I, I armed him with the materials to let me down and disappoint me. Yeah. by not doing it. And he gladly accepted. He's like, come on. Actually, no, that's a lie. He did write me one. Um, he just didn't post it, so he just arrived home with it. Oh, okay. Which kind of takes a little bit of the romance out of it. I mean, he was being very economical. Yeah, he yeah. Di- he didn't splash out on a stamp like. Yeah, I mean, in God three months yeah. he was in London. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, we'll take what we can get. Yeah, yeah. It it is it is kind of like. I, I sometimes I get notions like I was I think I was sitting in the cinema and I was just watching a film the other day and I just took a notion I was like right that's it yeah I saw that in the movie I'm going to start writing letters totally because they're so nice but it is nice and my I, my auntie is the only person in the world who I know who still writes letters like I I still get letters from her mm. now I don't respond which is crap now that I think about it like I'll, resp- I'll send her a text and be like thanks a million for your letter yeah. in about 140 characters but yeah she proper st- and she writes to my dad and like and like she's amazing handwriting and it is a really like a lovely thing getting a letter is really exciting mm-hmm. now that we're so used to like oh, it's just there on your phone it's an email or whatever yeah. but um, I said that now Tom but I probably won't follow through on actually writing her back a letter yeah well I mean like do you remember, did you go to the Gale Talk ever when you were a kid I didn't because I was afraid of getting homesick Okay, right. Well, that was the thing because you weren't allowed like phones or anything. Of course. So then you'd write your letters. So like, yeah. Whatever, because that's I, like I I lived abroad in the states for like about nine months mm-hmm. during college. We did like an exchange to Chicago, and uh, I was like I, like I can't really imagine what it was like to go before you had like your phone exactly. and like a laptop or whatever to just see what was going on like in some ways probably worse because like we were saying earlier you had that thing of like oh all my mates are out and you had this impression that they're always out doing everything totally yeah and then you come back and you realise no in Nothing reality changed. we it's see each other like same. once a month if we're yeah. doing well and like you know um, but yeah like the let like I remember I still have the letters that some of my mates sent and they're hilarious because it was all that about that is kind of amazing as well it, like you'd physically have those things like I I moved down my house my home house year, like a good few years ago now but I was doing a big clear out of my room my room was just full of junk and I found the box the box of notes from school like secondary school right so I kept all the notes we wrote each other in the whole just five in class years like passing back and forth ones. literally the back and forth across like <coughs> and throwing it over your shoulder type yeah, of notes yeah. they and they I just got I literally sat there for hours reading them in app because I didn't keep diaries as a kid yeah. so it was like the closest thing I had to a diary mm. what we were doing what we were talking about who we were meet, all that it was it was absolutely hilarious and I was like screenshotting them all and sending them to the girls on our whatsapp group now because that's how we communicate now via yeah. whatsapp yeah. but they are like I and, I and I I did a massive clear out I threw out like I think it was like 10 black sacks of crap but I kept that box and I have it to this day and I I will never get rid of it because I'll show my kids when they're old enough to not replicate my behaviour. Yeah, but like, yeah, they're yeah. it's absolutely incredible to read them back. Oh, I'd say. Like, but do you, like, do you ever think... There's a play in that box, like... Yeah, just alone. There's a couple of plays in that box. Yeah. But do you ever think back about, like, I, I, I don't know, like, <laughs> on one hand, I can't think back, like, even, like, like a, f- a month or something. Yeah, I have a like, shocking memory. I, and, but if I do, if I do go back, right, then I can't not... Like just cringe. Like, oh man, do you have that as well? Oh, completely. Is that normal? I've never 100%. actually talked about this out loud. I think everybody was an embarrassing teenager. Yeah, okay. like everybody was. That is a fact. And even you meet teenagers now, and they behave like somewhat embarrassingly, and you're like cringing for them. But you're going, I bet I was even worse than that though. Because I yeah. think teenagers now are fairly, they're fairly cool. Mm-hmm. You know, they're fairly, like they probably know themselves a bit better than 
I would have as a teenager to so. some degree. Yeah. But yeah, like reading those notes was a it was a it was an eye opener. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they could see your face. There. Oh man. Um, like yeah, mortification. But that's the way we went on. And like I was yeah. a pretty good kid. Like I was I wasn't you know, I was fairly well like well behaved, mm. but I still did some ropey shit. Yeah, I, well, I was going to ask you, like, do you think that you, like, for me, right, I think I was really, 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 really different as a, like, teenager and as a kid to what I am now. Yeah. Like, in ter- like I, obviously, like, physically and stuff, you change and whatever else, but, like, even personality-wise, like, I'm, I'm still definitely, like, in there, but, like, I was super introverted as a kid. I think I still, okay. like, naturally probably do sit, like... I think a lot of actors are As an introvert, but, like, I can introvert. definitely turn on, like, the extrovert thing and... Totally. Um, were you, like, what kind of kid were you, like... Um, um, mouthy. Were you? Yeah. Um, but not not ever in a like. Like I was cheeky by accident. Mm-hmm. Like I never set out to be. I just couldn't control my mouth, basically. Yeah. So I'd always like, you know, you'd be having crack with a teacher, and you just take it that step too. I always just take it that step too far. Right. Um. But also quite sensitive. I think I think I am still both those. I like think I have. Like a slightly better handle on both of those things. I'm definitely still mouthy. I definitely still have to like watch my mouth. And I'm very conscious now in recent times of talking over people. This is because in my group of friends from home, the girls, we like, I think the first time that that my husband met all the girls, like he came away a bit frazzled because we speak oh and it's my friends from drama school are the same we speak over one another but not while not listening to the other person like I could 100% have a conversation with my best mate where we're talking at the same time but I'm taking in what she's saying I'm responding to what she's saying and finishing her sentences and she's finishing mine and it's not a disrespectful thing but I think when you're with people that you know less well you have to not do that I'm really conscious of this in the past like year yeah. of my tendency to finish people's sentences if they aren't thinking as quick as I'd like them to think ah Interesting. Not cool. Yeah. Not fun for the other person. Um, <laughs> I do because my husband's a very kind of moderated, slow thinker and speaker, and like I'm working really hard on biting my tongue to not finish the sentences for him the whole time. Yeah, it's really interesting when you actually start doing a podcast and you're like forced to listen back. Yeah. And so when you talk, like I'm trying to stay like actively engaged and nod, but you know, if we were having a conversation off mic, I was like, yeah, yeah, uh huh, yeah. Right. Totally. Oh, I know, uh, but we, that sounds crap on a mic. Exactly. And it probably is a better like art of conversation, but we just don't do it anymore. No, because I just think like my mind is going ninety the whole time, and if you're not talking as fast as my mind is going, I have a problem, mm-hmm. which is terrible. Like, so I'm working really hard on on being better at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Heads up, world. Interesting. Right, yeah. we'll see you again. And the listeners are going to be like taking notes now every time you fuck up. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go to spin. Attention to that. <laughs> okay, uh, number. Come on. Twenty-three. Oh, twenty-four. Oh, so close, so close. All right, twenty-three. Question is: When was the? <laughs> I'm asking you all your last times. When was the last time you said a prayer? Oh. It was probably for a job. Yeah. Um, which is. Is in like is, in an audition. Sorry, Jesus. Um, well, you did pick thirty-three. I did. Which was the, yeah. and he was murdered at that age as well. So maybe we were being too kind at the start. Maybe, we were, yeah, maybe so. Um, yeah, it probably was. Um, for a job, I'm pretty fickle with my praying in that way. Mm. Um, yeah, oh, sorry, yeah. I thought you meant you would have had to like say a hail mary like in the script, but you mean oh no, like as be, in like can I have that job, yes, please, yeah, Jesus, yeah, uh, kind of thing. Um, 
yeah, and like <laughs> try and be sparing enough with them. So if it's Joe, I'm like, you're not getting that. Don't don't waste Jesus' time on that one. Um, but if it's one that you're just really attached to, and you, you know those, you know those ones you go into, and you're like, oh, I could really, I could really do that one. Like, yeah. I could re- I th- it was probably actually um, nowhere fast. The mm. Allison's because like I did go into that audition, and I was like, I can to, I can, I can definitely play this part, and not in a not in an immodest way or anything. Just I was like, and the script was so good and it was so funny, and I and I worked really hard in the audition. And I went, yeah, I can definitely. Although, and this is pro- it's probably always the way you probably have the same experience. I I went into the audition and I came out thinking that the director like personally disliked me. Mm. Like for I just was like, oh oh he oh oh he, and I've told him this since, and he laughed at me. But I was like, yeah, it came out being like, no, yeah, you talk too much there. Your mouth ran away with you. He just dislikes you as a person. Right. So you're not getting that job. And I have this thing where <laughs> I do this for every audition. I walk out of whatever building and I put the sides in the nearest bin. Because mm. I, when I started out, I used to keep the sides just in case, which is, <laughs> which is just completely jinxing yourself. So I find the nearest bin and I throw them away. But that time I threw them away particularly violently because I thought I'd made a, a, an arse of it. But they're always, they're, and the ones you come out of going nailed that you never get those jobs I know like you never get those jobs yeah it's so interesting like I, I like just the psychology of it like I because you know the way you have them times where you go in for like loads and it could be big stuff it could be small stuff but and you do like even sometimes you do good auditions but you know someone in the back of your mind you're like that was like pretty much as good as I can do but I'm just not that oh yeah and totally and even like you'll read scripts and go like we all want to be auditioning we want to be working and everything and I'm and I and I've never had like I know some actors find auditions stressful. I really, really enjoy auditions but because sometimes they're the only opportunity you get to act mm. if you're not working. So I really relish the opportunity to read a script and learn some lines and flex those muscles at a time when you're not flexing them every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you could read a script and go, yeah, I'm 100%. Like, I could I could do that, but I'm 100% going to walk into the room and before I even open my mouth, the director's going to go, no. Nah. Yeah. Do you know? And you know that. And I think sometimes, like, you can do a really good audition and they'll be really nice to you and that will lull you into a false sense of security. But I think the nicer they are to you, the more, the less you're likely to get the job. Because they're looking at you going, oh, you've really wasted your time today. <laughs> Sorry about that. Thanks a million. That was great. But we're not going to give you the job. We, yeah, we, that's so funny you say that. I was just, ta- I can't even remember who I was talking about that with, but we were just talking about that. And it's normally, yeah, because t- it's like, if they don't do that, then they're like, no, you don't need that validation because yeah, you're going to get like, it. Yeah, they're literally like, you are so right for this that, yeah, grand, see you later. And you know how right you are even though no actor ever knows that. Like, no, yeah. You, you're, you're, you always think you're it's, a bit yeah, it's just straight. Like, and, and like, um, have, you were in the gay school, right? Mm-hmm. And how quickly after that did, like, say, for example, Moonboy happen? Um, I graduated in July and I got, I got my first theatre job like about a month later, which was um, extremely lucky. What was that? Um, it was a show called Ride On, uh, written by an actor and a writer called Seamus O'Rourke, and it was Living Dread Theatre Company, which is Porg McIntyre, Mary Handley, and Aaron Monaghan. Mm-hmm. And that's how I met um, my future husband. Mm. Um, so that was my first theatre gig, and that happened in September, October of that year. Um, and then I finished that, and I was like, right, got to get a job. Got a job in Wagamama in Dundrum. And um, like a week later, got cast in Moonboy. Wow. So that was like I think it was November, and we started shooting in January. That's um, so that was 
extremely jammy. Yeah. I'm not unaware of that. Nor was I at the time, actually. I was like, because me and my best mate came out of drama school and we were like, right, if we get an agent, we, like, that's, you know, that kind of pinnacle of your, when you come out of drama school, if you get an agent, you're flying. Not that we, like, we were like, if we don't equally, we're still going to power on. Mm. But we both got agents and we were delighted and we were like, right, it could be a year before we land a job. All we want now is to be in rooms and we have an agent going to be getting us into rooms and that's great. So getting into the room from Moonboy was like, this is ridiculous. That's gas. Mm. Getting a recall for it and being in the room with Chris O'Dowd and Declan Lowney, I was like, that's a story for the grandkids. Um, so getting cast and it was just like ridiculous. Amazing. And yeah. like, I was going to say, and then that's why when I asked you that question, it was like a, a pre-question. A cre- uh, like what, like sometimes I think about, right, let me, how do I phrase this? When I was in drama school, I was like that as well. I really wanted an agent. And then, but m- my thing was like, I don't know, like it would it could be a conversation with my folks or maybe with friends, but we'd all be kind of talking about like what we really wanted. Because there were some people in, in, I went to DIT to, mm-hmm. and there were some people who were very openly and like kind of like I admired them for it. Were like, no, I actually do want to be famous and I do want to be rich. They didn't really want to be working actors. Not, Good luck. Yeah. And <laughs> by the way, none of them are doing it anymore. Exactly. Which is totally fine. But I kind of admired, like, I kind of admired the fact even that they had the balls to say it. Like, yeah, like, there's a, that's a nice, there's a nice honesty in that, but like, good luck. No, 100%. And like, we are, and like, you very quickly found out, like, that was in first and very quickly found out, you're like, oh yeah, you don't, like, that's they, not how it works. They're like, but they'd be the same people who might be auditioning for like Big Brother now. Do you know what I mean? And exactly. So, so it's a different thing. It's a different thing. It's yeah. a totally different thing. And sometimes it can look like acting can look like a package to what they want. Yeah, and then they realise this is really fucking hard. Actually, one hundred percent. So anyway, and then but I when I was in drama school, my thing was I was like, if I would love to make a make a living, make a living doing this, doing this, and and that was it. Like that that was it was genuinely it. And it's not a lack of ambition or like because people often ask you like you know, do you see yourself in Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. And it's not that I don't, or it's not that I don't aspire to be successful in my line of work. And I think, but I just, I just want, like you say, I want, I want to make a living doing the work that I love. Um, And if I can do that, then I, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be pretty happy with that. That would be success to me. Like, I mean, I know there's all different varying levels of success, but once you're, I mean, I, I've loads of mates who, who have jobs that they do to make ends meet or to pay the mortgage or whatever it is. Um, and I feel extremely lucky that I get to do something that I'm very passionate about and mm. that um, the work itself is amazing. Yeah. Like the hard part of it is not working. Right. You know, and like that's that's a difficult part of what we do. It's the it's the time when you're not. 100%. Um, and we're, re- I think we're really lucky to be in a position to, to do that. And, and like what... Then did did you have a point where, okay, then when that when that is when you are in that like privileged position where like oh this is like a thing and I've been relatively, you know, because it only ever is relative when you do yeah, what we totally, do I yeah. think. But like you're like I've been like relatively successful in the sense that I have been able to make a living for like X amount of time. And then like do you have a point where then you reassess and you say okay, I don't think it's weird because you're I I'm sure like no matter how, what level you're at you never feel like. That is a one hundred percent given because it's no. so changeable. And like you meet actors all the time who you would assume don't get that end of job fear. Like I, did, I worked with Ingrid Craigie in the gate a couple of years ago, and coming near the end of the job, we were all kind of like, oh, you know, end of job fear. And Ingrid was like, yeah. I was like, what? What yeah. do you mean? Yeah, you mean it never goes away? You mean like Ingrid Craigie gets end of job fear? Mm. So like that's it. Like that, no matter yeah. whatever level you get to, like. Yeah, you're still gonna get that in the last week of a job going oh god what's next though I know it's never gonna go away and I think weirdly enough I think 
like there's a there's a bit of the masochist in every one of us or we wouldn't be doing what we're doing Th- mm. there has to be something about, and I've done the 9 to 5 thing like I did that I did that in a great company where I could have stayed working for the rest of my life and been making way more money now than I'm making doing what I'm doing but like I didn't want that like it, it really the whole working 9 to 5 living for Friday coming back in on Monday really depressed and just the, the, the build to Friday it just I was like I can't I can't do this forever yeah I prefer to be doing something that I really love that's pretty precarious. And also, there isn't, like, it. okay, there's, it depends on what way, what side of the bed you get out of in the morning, but either the fact that you don't know where you're going to be in six months' time is either fucking terrifying or it's really exciting. Like, you don't know where you're going to be in six months. You could be here in Ireland, you could be in London, you could be wherever. You just don't know where the work's going to take you. And there is, there isn't, no matter what everyone says, like, there is an excitement to that. Yeah. Like, it is amazing how, how just depending on, like, what's going on. Like, for example, if you, like, got a job or you have a job coming up, like, the way you behave, like, or I'll speak for myself, the way I behave differently. Like, sometimes at the start of this year, I had, like, like, almost three months where I just, had, like, came out of something um, and had nothing and and just could and there were loads of like real close calls and stuff you know that way and like I'm so close but that's what you were talking about earlier like you're just I know I'm not right but they're all good things and then like something really obvious came along and and, like not that it was obvious it's never obvious but it was like this it it had that feeling about it I was like and then you know it actually works out and you get it and like I even found like the way I was behaving with like my family and my friends and just like Little things like even like the way like I'd be like eating or exercising, like your whole thing changes because you're like, oh, I feel like myself again. Yeah, totally. But it's I think it's really I, like it's so important as well that you don't get all your joy from your work because and you're fucked really. Uh, like we we don't who came in, we had a few talks from various like practicing um, artists when we were in the Gaiety, and I think it was Lisa Harding who came in and said, like, do not get all your joy from this job mm-hmm. because you won't be joyful. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because if you're getting all, she's like, she's like upscaling other things, have another way you can make money, give your time to your family and your friends, don't let all those relationships fall by the wayside because that they'll be your grounding force when the work isn't there. And yeah. like that happens all the time. And it's a when, it's not an if. Like, it's a when, yeah. it's a when for everybody, no matter who you are, whether you're Tom Cruise or Tom Moore, like it's going to happen at some point, you're mm-hmm. going to have a gap and you're going to have to fill it with making money first of all somehow or another and the things and the people that you love that will remind you that that work isn't the be all and end all I know what we do you need to put a lot of heart and soul into it and it is, we are so passionate about it and everything um, but if you get all your joy from it you're fucked and how big a part do you think then like with like you know you writing like Charlie's a klepto and, mm-hmm. and other things that you know please got to do in the future like yeah it's how- a lifeline like, do, 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 was that empowering just to know that, like, I'm not waiting? 100%. Yeah. Like, the, like, I never set out to be a writer. It wasn't in my thinking. I was like, you are uni-talented. You do this one thing. You do it well. Let's hope that works out. Um, But Charlie came from being unemployed and being frustrated and being like, well, if no one's going to put me on a stage, then I'll put me on a stage. Mm-hmm. And it took me, like, <laughs> two and a half years to actually write it. And it wouldn't have happened without the help and the support of Axis Valley Moon. Um and Aaron who dramaturged the shit out of it for me mm. but um, yeah it, it's it's the first time really probably in the whole time since I graduated from college where I felt that I was taking a bit of the power back because it can feel really disempowering to if you sit and think about it like the fact that your your future your career literally lies in the hands of other people yeah. 
and I'm a, I'm I'm really proactive and I'm impatient and but I work hard and I and so when I don't have anything to work hard on my mental health goes awry like it's yeah, I have to be busy um, and if being busy means sitting down and and writing a play then brilliant yeah um, yeah it's it's it, it really has been a lifeline and even now like um, that I'm between jobs again I'm back I'm back writing properly again and I've, I've two plays I want to write and I want to make Charlie into a film and look like Nothing might ever come of those things, but right now I have plans and I have goals and I have something to be doing with my time that exercises all those muscles and just keeps your brain going. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Awesome, let's give it a spin. Go for it. Let's see what happens. Okay, cool. Number 25. Are you joking? You've got a 24 sandwich there. Oh, come um, on. Right, okay. That's what you get for picking 33. <laughs> You started thinking it was a good... Jesus is not on my side. No, 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 no. You messed it up. Uh, Okay, 25. Um, I think this is the first time this question's been asked. Sometimes I put in new questions. You think you could be the first. Mixing it up. Tell us about something that people consider surprising when they learn it about you. Oh. Um. (laughs) That's a good one. Oh, I used... um, I was never a, a sporty kid. But um, but I come from a like a, a dynasty of table tennis players. No way. Yeah. Um. Now, unfortunately, I was the weakest of the three. Um. But my big sister, um, was like number one in Ireland in her age range, and she went and like I was about to say fought. She went and played <laughs> in the uh, junior Olympics in Moscow in like I don't know ninety six or something. And my big bro as well was pretty was pretty impressive with the table tennis bat. Now I I played as well. Yeah. Because it was like the thing that my family did. Um but I wasn't as good and also didn't have the temperament for it because I just am a shit loser. Right. So like <laughs> I'd lose and then not want to go and train because I'd be like, <laughs> I fucking lost. I don't want to play anymore. Um so I played up until I was about I'd say eleven or twelve and then drama just took over my life. So I, I just quit every other activity to do drama but yeah table tennis dynasty and my sister actually used to give out to my mom all the time that she didn't put us into a sport that she could make money out of because she's like you don't like why why, why aren't we playing fucking tennis yeah. and being like the Williams sisters instead <laughs> of like t- table tennis where you, you really you really can't make any cash out of that it's so it is a I like we my, I have a friend Sean and he's since emigrated which is so sad because he's a really good friend but he also had a table tennis table <laughs> and like we used to like if we were over at his house you know like the first like hour like you know people would be like you know drinking or whatever but yeah. like play table tennis is totally. the best and I was but really actually good recently at it. I got really cocky but it wasn't that recently a few years ago I met friends out who I hadn't seen in, in a long time um you know drink was had and we went back to their house and they ha- they had a table tennis table in their house but I they mentioned this earlier night. I've been bragging all night about how good I was at table tennis right Yeah. but I got back there and I got completely slaughtered by these lads who couldn't even hold the fucking bat right but obviously like I either wasn't that good to begin with or has sig- significantly disimproved over the years yeah it was a real letdown I'm not okay. gonna lie yeah. I blamed the drink at the time mm. but um, I'll tell you now Graham, you were right you're just better at table tennis than me Wow, very humbling. Yeah, your family it was a humbling experience. Your family yeah. would disown you. They would, yeah, yeah, they would. The dynasty destroyed. <laughs> right, okay, let's give it a go. Uh, okay, number thirteen. You're kidding me. I'm, I'm dying. Death here, Tom. All right, okay, number thirteen. Uh, what are your thoughts on the year 2016? Oh, it was really depressing, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, that question was, like, more relevant, like, six months ago, but fuck it. <laughs> no, it's gotten significantly worse. I'm not going to focus on all that stuff because 
well it is just really depressing isn't it like Brexit and, and Trump and all that crap um, so it was pretty dark um, it what did I do in 2016 oh man I can't even like remember half the stuff um, oh I I, I I had a I had a really nice year. I did some really nice work, um, and it was the year I suppose where I finally got my finger out and and started and finished writing Charlie, or at least uh, it was also the year I got married. Um, that's a pretty big deal, right? That's good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, on New Year's Eve we finished up the year twenty sixteen by getting married. So that was, I mean, <laughs> Trump who. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a pretty good end of the year. Um, yeah. So all all over, it was a pretty good year. That's kind of a really aside good idea. from world politics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, New Year's Eve wedding, best thing to ever. Like, cause New Year's Eve is rubbish. That it's, it's super smart. So rubbish. now you have like an anniversary every year. Yeah, but we and we also got to give everybody a shit hot party. Cause I'm not gonna lie, Tom, we won weddings. Like it was really, it was the best crack ever. Like, good luck to everybody else get married now. Me and Aaron won. Yeah, it was good crack. Well, uh, yeah, like I haven't been to very many weddings. Like I'm not, I'm not there yet. Where That's like the thing, yeah, you're not quite there yet. Where all your mates are starting to. To to Take get married, yeah. Although some some are like I had a friend uh, in America, one of the guys that I went to college with over there, proposed to his wife uh, with a song. It was very American, like do you know mm. what I mean. It was super American. <laughs> it was kind of like cute and whatever, but it was like also you're like <gasps> if you did that here, like You'd the, be, the boys be like, oh good luck. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah. So you won weddings. Congratulations. We did, yeah, and um, yeah, it was it was wonderful, and we had a uh, we had Rory Nolan as our MC, ah. so. That'll tell you the kind of wedding that it was. Wow! When Rory's in charge. Right, right, right. Um. So yeah, we had a, we had a really really good night, and the, and yeah, it was just great. It was a great way to end what some would say was a pretty bleak year for the world. Yeah, I mean the world. It's so the world is crazy, fucked. isn't it though? Like, yeah. <laughs> you can't. Like, there's actually, no point in even talking about no, it. Like, you can't really think about it for too no, long. No, because you'd like, fall again. You'd fall down the Twitter rabbit hole of how depressing everything is. Yeah. Um. So I'm just gonna keep writing plays. Yeah, I the best. think that's probably the best you can do, really, yeah. isn't it? When you do, 100%. Yeah. Keep the art going. Yeah, I'm like doing weird podcasts. Uh, exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, right, here we go. Number 60. This is like this. Whoa. I'm giving up on this now at this point. You wouldn't be the first to white. I don't think you're going to whitewash. I have oh, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's looking pretty, it's looking pretty bleak. Go on. Okay. In terms, mm, this might be new as well. In terms of artistic creation, what drives you to do what you do? Um, your failed table tennis career my failed table <laughs> tennis career um, I have to succeed at something yeah. Tom. Um, in terms of creation uh, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that like I like I said I didn't set out to be a writer I set out to be an actor and I was very much like give me your words and I will say them Right. Um, so um, the really honest answer to that was unemployment mm. genuinely like I, I can't I can't say any different if I had been working steadily the whole time since I graduated I never would have put a pen to paper but I'm but I'm really glad that I did for that for that sense of um empowerment that it gives you and even if you have even if you do have a really good year or whatever where you're working back to back like we said you're always going to have that um that lull and if you know um what to do in that time to maintain your mental health and all those things and if that is writing if that can continue to be a thing and the thing is as well like I've um like Dublin is an unbelievable place to be a theatre maker, mm. especially now. And I know they say that that theatre thrives during a recession. I think that it really did because, like, like our generation of theatre makers it, who've been coming out of the Gaiety and the Lear and DIT and everywhere for the past few years, like, 
like people would always say we came out at a really shit time because there was no money there was nothing happening like all the theatre companies were being you know unf- defunded left right and centre um, so we came out at a time where you absolutely had to make your own work there was nothing else for it mm-hmm. um, and the amount of incredible theatre that's come out of that like theatre upstairs and um, all the, the companies that you could name like the Corpse Ensemble and Bitter Like a Lemon and um, like you could go on and on and on with all the different companies who've come out of that dearth of work right. <laughs> um, who've had to make their own way and um, actors and writers who've established themselves in a whole new light that they wouldn't have been able to do if they were waiting for someone else to give them a job mm-hmm. um, that really inspires me going, going to somewhere like Theatre Upstairs where they don't get a penny of funding um, and they're literally everybody everybody in that building is literally doing it with for pure passion and love and the standard of work is incredible like I've seen some of the best designs that I've seen and on Dublin stages in theatre upstairs and they haven't got a penny to rub together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really inspiring to me. And even when you have to, like I temp between jobs to pay the rent and everything like that. Um, but when you see people like that who are giving their time for nothing um, around, like, like Laura who runs theatre upstairs works full time in the Abbey. Like I don't know where she pulls the time out of, but she does it yeah. because she loves it. Um, and so I think um, Dublin is a really inspiring place to be an artist and a theatre maker right now. Um, and just having those conversations with people always spurs me on. Like I was at out with some theatre makers a couple of weeks ago and like the drink always helps as well, right? Because you're, you're most ambitious when you've got a few points in you. But it does give you a kick when you're with people who are like, well, I'm producing this and I'm writing this and I'm going to do that and I've got plans to do this and I've actually applied for funding for this and I'm doing my arts council application now for that. It gives you a kick up the hole and, and makes you go, you can never be doing too much. You can never be working too hard. You can never be having your finger in too many pies you can never be meeting too many people and putting yourself out there as an artist and I think I've made a real like conscious effort in the last few years to to become a part of the fringe of Dublin Theatre and um, like I'm still working on it but but it's a really exciting place to be mm. and like because I think it's so true and I, I think it's, it is different if you go abroad but I like I was wondering have you ever considered going to London or to the States or anything yeah like totally I mean I, I, I'll go wherever the work goes mm-hmm. um, would you relocate like just to be like I want to make a go of it here I would relocate off the back of work right I'd be reluctant to just relocate and only because like I, I just know how important it is for me to be working and I'm not just saying just as an actor I mean just to be working in general mm-hmm. Um. So, you know, you'd be starting from scratch somewhere else, which would be grand. If I, if I could go somewhere on the back of a job, yeah, I would 100%. And I like, if I got a job in London tomorrow, I'd go in a heartbeat. There'd be no question. Mm. Um, but, um, but, I'd, but I would... Oh, look, who knows? I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, like, I'll, go, you... I'll go wherever the opportunities are. Honestly, at this point in my life, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more than happy to go wherever the work is. Oh, 100%. Like, I, I, it, I find it interesting because I'm not really at a place where I think it would make sense for me to go, but I'd always mm. be open to, like that. I, yeah, I, totally. I actually have the, you know, almost the exact same opinion as you. And sometimes, and I don't mean this in a, I don't even think it comes from a place of insecurity, but you know when you have friends who do go, and like for, to London, I think is normally the main one. Yeah, totally. And, and it's like, tough and it's lonely and it's, it's big, man. I know. It, yeah, I, for sure. And I think that like whenever, whenever whenever that happens and you're at like they're going away drinks or whatever, like I always just like find myself just checking like because I think there's a reason like I always like check like what's the reason you're not going? Like I ask myself that question. Yeah, and, and is it is it fear holding you it, back or is it exactly. genu- you know it, like is it just literally fear? Um, if that and was I, it. I have to say like in the last year I've had a, a, a real change of mindset. That doesn't mean I'm going to leave or anything, but um, 
up until last year, anytime anyone told me they were going to London, I get this like fear and pain in my stomach, and I was like, oh, I've done that for. Oh, that's awful scary. Mm. Um, but now, um, I would see the opportunity of leaving to go anywhere as exciting, mm-hmm. and not because I think like I'm done here or I've ticked all my boxes. I haven't at all. There's plenty more I want to do in Ireland in terms of places I want to work and people I want to work with. Um, but the I suppose the idea. It's just a change in your mindset. The idea of going somewhere else now doesn't frighten me in the way that it used to. Yeah. And maybe it's because I'm just like have a bit more experience and and feel a bit more um confident in my ability now that I know I can that I know I'm like perfectly capable of going up against people anywhere really. You know, because I've I've worked really hard and I'm not bad. Yeah. But at it like it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's not so Irish, isn't it? I'm not, I'm not bad. bad. I'm not a bad actor. Oh yeah. Christ. No, but I, I am a good actor. Yeah. I said it to him. But that's hard to say. Like, it is, it's a disease. Yeah. The disease of humility. It's not good, like. But and like how much of that then links back to what we were talking about earlier with that whole like Ed Sheeran syndrome that like you don't want to be that person. Um, and I'm not like that's obviously ways off, yeah, but, um, No, I know, but do, do, even like in your own circle, like no one wants to be like, because if you're someone who's working as an actor anywhere, that puts you in like, like a really like small percentile because it's fucking so hard to get a job. Yeah, totally. So you do, like you, you, I even have that like with and like wherever you're, I would put myself like, way below that again, again. But like, we're all just we're, no, we're all in the same boat. But that's what I mean. But like, you have to be like sometimes you feel the need to be careful about how you even talk about yourself because you never want to come across as I know but that is like that is the Irish disorder like and it, I've, I've, I've thought about this a lot in recent times because like especially with um doing Charlie and everything like I I, I do a lot of PR for that and like I've, I've a bit of experience um of that um from previous jobs and I don't mind doing it and it's you know it's getting bums on seats and everything um but like I did an interview with Etna Short on Sunday Times and before I did it I was talking to Neve, who's my producer from Access, and she was like, she had to remind me to say that I was a writer. She's like, you need to say I'm a writer. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, no, like, say it for me now because I don't even think you're capable of saying it. Yeah. Because, um, I, yeah, I, I, found, I genuinely found it difficult to say, like, I, I am a writer now as well. Mm-hmm. I even find that weird saying it now. And in terms of, like, like, I want, I want to, I want to get, paid to write even saying that is hard that's so ridiculous yeah. so I want to like apply for funding and I want to get better at all that kind of stuff and but I, I did my first application a while ago and like it, it was crap not gonna lie it was crap because I couldn't say in it that I'm really good like I couldn't say this is a really good idea that deserves your backing mm-hmm. and if you can't say that then why would they give you money to if you're like oh I'm kind of I'm grand oh, I do a bit of writing oh, it's grand and I'm a grand actor and like that's grand then why would anyone like if you can't get behind yourself then why is anyone else going to get behind you but it's a real Irish thing of of that humility where you can't even be like no I'm actually really good at what I do like genuinely and this is a really good play and you should come and see it mm-hmm. that's a really hard thing for Irish people to get their heads around and I know what you're saying about not wanting to there's a fine line between like confidence and you know cockiness and I get that mm-hmm. I don't think any of us are really like in danger of crossing it honestly because we're so self-deprecating but I think it's really important um, especially just like even in terms of walking into an audition room mm-hmm. you have to go in own that room because at the end of the day there's a director on the other side of the table there looking at you being like are you going to crumble on set or are you going to am I going to have to be looking after you the whole time or are you going to just walk on and own it yeah like you have to find that somewhere within you um, yeah. in order to do what it is that we do like 100% and I think that 
sometimes the humility, like, like you said, because it's because you're, you're kind of conscious of like what the the end of like what the means to the end of it is. Because you're if it if it is out of that thing of like like cause we were talking earlier about what we were like as a kid. When I was a kid growing up, I was really like I really wanted people to like me. Superhuman, oh, totally. superhuman yeah, thing. Yeah. Like, like, but another disorder. Exactly, and 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 then like you have to you have to find like you kind of have to get over that. You, you know, you have to give less of a fuck. Yeah, like I think you really really do if. You, if you're constantly worrying about what people think about you or like it's it's crippling as a especially in what we do sure like if you're going out on stage and you're not completely getting behind the decisions that you've made and and the the show that you've come to in your rehearsal if you don't get behind that 100 percent, an audience smells that straight away and straight away they're on edge and they're not with you mm -hmm. if you take risks in your performances if you take risks in in your writing and you get out there and you get behind it 100 percent People might like it or dislike it, but they'll they'll be with you, right? You know, I, I think I think especially like because getting up on stage on my own was like just hor like horrifying. Mm -hmm. I, I've never experienced anything like it, and also because you've nothing to hype on because you wrote it as well. Like, um, but if you but I knew I knew if I backed off it in any way, you you lose the, the confidence of your audience. You can't back off. You have to go out there and give it. 100% knowing that people will come away either liking it or disliking it and that that's okay mm -hmm. if you if you make people have a strong reaction either way then you're kind of doing your job um, but if you back off and if you don't have the confidence to get behind the decisions that you make then you're fucked like yeah yeah, like we were, um, the there's this gentleman on the podcast. Uh, this week he was on earlier, and he uh, his name's Des Doyle, and he made this uh, TV. Uh, it's a it's a kind of feature documentary called Showrunners, and it's about you know the art of running a show. Yeah. And it was in LA, like he had like JJ Abrams, all these amazing people Daddy. on. Um, anyway, he one day he was over there in a restaurant discussing in LA discussing. I think it was Joss Whedon. They were gonna be chatting to the next day, and you know the waitress. Uh, was an unemployed actress they later found out and she overheard them talking about their meeting Joss Whedon and when they took the bill or the check or whatever she came over you know CV headshot she goes hi guys uh, I hope you don't mind I heard you over I overheard you talking that you were going to be beating Joss Whedon here's my CV and headshot I'm a really talented actress I'd really appreciate if you could pass this on to Joss and say I'd love to work with you now obviously like Des is like from Dublin like fairly like Dublin guy he was yeah, kind of like, like I totally can't do that I've yeah. never seen her I, I 100% <laughs> yeah. but he was like that's because I was talking about but that takes balls yeah he was like, like that's the level like over there cause oh god they're on like I can't I can't even imagine dealing with that kind of level of on do you know like incredible like you imagine doing that here. yeah but then like you know she's probably shy. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, no I'm not like no, making assumptions yeah. but um, yeah it's one it's one thing being able to get behind the talent that you do have it's another thing just winging it entirely mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah right let's give it a, I'm just gonna do a little time check okay cool we've got we've got like between 10 and 15 minutes left great let's see if we can let's get go. you one, all right. one okay all right, okay uh, alright number 7 no oh man okay number 7 question is uh, if you couldn't do what you're doing right now as in acting what and writing what career would you pursue Um, I've absolutely no idea really I don't know um, I've had loads of jobs. I actually counted this up recently. Um, aside from acting, so in terms of normal jobs, mm. I've had 19 wow. normal jobs since the age of 14. Wow. Um, so I've done everything. I was a waitress and a barmaid. I did customer service, retail. Um, I was a kinra. Yeah. Um, like I've, I, I've, I worked in banking. I did everything. Um, 
and none of them would I return to willingly. Mm. <laughs> Do you know I really don't know. I don't know. I mean, look, look, I'd make something happen. Um, my brother always says um, I never go to an interview and, and don't get it. But that's to be fair. I'm always going for like entry level jobs, or at least I was back when I was going for jobs. Yeah. Um, and there has to be something attractive as well about somebody who doesn't actually really care that much. Mm-hmm. You know yourself you know, from auditions. Some degree, like yeah, like audition. I do temping now between jobs, and um, it is absolutely gas how completely taken aback and delighted people are when you're like remotely capable, mm-hmm. like so so taken aback um they're kind of looking at you going why like why are you here like because you seem you seem to have two brain cells to rub together um and what what, what counts as capability in these kind of jobs like? oh bare minimum man like being able to hold a conversation answer a phone open a door that's really? essentially well like for the most part it's reception work so you, that's literally the skills that are required of it yeah um, but I think actors are well suited to because you go into a place and you'll make conversation with people and you won't you know you just throw yourself in and you wing it mm-hmm. you know it's 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 what you do every day in your career so yeah. and also there definitely is something about the fact that I'm going to be gone in a few days right. so like what could really really feasibly go wrong mm-hmm. in the next 24 hours yeah. Um. so yeah like I'd find I'd find something but I've definitely um, like I have a thing where if I get a no from an audition I give myself one day uh, no, that's a lie. If I get a no from audition, like not a recall, like a first audition, I'm not allowed to cry about it. Mm-hmm. Like get over it, yeah. move on, build a bridge. If I get a no from a recall or something that I was close to, I give myself one day to have a cry uh, and threaten to quit um, and like curse everybody from a height. And then the next day I have to get over it. Right. Um, there was one recently where I gave myself two days. So it was particularly hard. Okay. But, um, but I don't know what my point was there. I totally lost it. No, we were talking about what you would do if you went. Oh yeah. Back so I, I, oh, my point. I, that's exactly what my point was. So I, I do have those days where if I, if I was close to something and I get a no, I have my day where I'm like, and like full on, totally like, balling in bits, like cursing the world and like, you know, openly threatening to quit, but realistically, um, touch wood or cork or actually that's probably rubber. <laughs> um, I haven't ever seriously considered quitting yeah yes um i mean i think i really admire people who go this isn't making me happy anymore i'm gonna do something else mm-hmm. like i genuinely do admire people me who too. do that because i get it like i get it and i think if a day came where the lows started to outweigh the highs then i would seriously consider it i don't i like i, I but i but they haven't come close yeah. yet yeah yeah I know it's a, it's a, I yesterday met my friend for lunch and he's working in LinkedIn in town like kind of near Google and mm. it has that Google vibe like that Facebook yeah. vibe like and uh, I I again I've never I've actually done some gigs in LinkedIn really like as in like on Halloween I go and dress up and uh, scream at them in a corridor for a few hundred quid right yeah because right. yeah and it like it, it's one of them built like he was showing me like the music room and just like a drum kit guitar I was like like if you gave this like as a rehearsal space to like actors they pay like you shit tons of money like yeah. you know comparative like I mean just the fact that that's here for you the I suppose is, is what so I'm saying yeah. and, like, whereas just, an actor if someone like buys you a pint you're like thank you so I know. much I know like they had like bar- like three baristas on each floor like just like just fridges of like you know like every drink you could want like yeah. like just it was silly stuff that he was like the way the other half live, man. I know it's and it's so interesting. And I and I was 
walking and I knew it was going to be like that and then when I seen it I was like that's mad like a full canteen absolutely free all this mad stuff and I was kind of like but and like I was going in to do a, a rehearsal you know in like in like like dusty Beckett theatre do you know what I mean and then I, that's where I was literally going straight to and I was like but like I actually wouldn't swap it no like I 100% wouldn't genuinely like um and it, it yeah it's just it's so it's just so so different and it like it's amazing it like it's amazing that because I think he genuinely like loves it there I like 100% I think that that like he probably gets comparable levels of like happiness mm-hmm. from what he and probably to be honest like without a lot of the the sadness that like comes with like like that I know exactly yeah because it, it it doesn't like it has that consistency of like he's probably on a year contract minimum do you know what I mean yeah whereas like I think like in, in comparison to like mogul jobs um, <coughs> our highs like way outweigh their highs but our lows way out low their lows yeah do you know mm-hmm. so like you just have to be okay with that and be accepting of that and um and figure out like figure out your ways of dealing with it like after the first was it after the first series of moon boy between series one and two like i didn't get a job for the i think i, I think i was unemployed for like two months mm-hmm. and when i say i didn't get a job i mean i wasn't expecting to get another acting job straight away but i didn't go and get work right i just kind of sat on my hole for a while um, and I very quickly learned that that is not good for me. Mm-hmm. Like mental health suffer, like everything suffers, everything suffers. You're getting up late in the day. If you have to meet someone for a cup of tea, that's like a day's work. Whereas I find when I'm, so if I'm temping, and I'm, but I'm still trying to keep on top of like voiceovers and auditions and whatever else coming in, I am at my best when I am shit busy. Like mm. it, whatever it's with, whether it's acting or something else, if I am trying to fit things in around other things I am at my best and my agent said the same thing to me when I told her I was going back working or whatever she was like busy actors get more jobs like just I, I don't even mean busy acting mm. I mean busy doing anything because if you're like if I'm running out of a temp job to go down and do an audition and turn on my heel and go back within my lunch hour then that audition isn't the be all and end all that day like if whereas if I'm unemployed and I that audition is that one thing that I'm doing that day or that week or that month mm-hmm then you go in with a bang of need on you. Yeah, like, uh, 100%. And like, th- that's just so unattractive, mm-hmm. like bang of need off an actor. Whereas I'm like, and even like for the recall for Nowhere Fast, I literally was in a temp job up on Leeson Street and I had to like, go lads, I'm taking my lunch hour at this time. And they're like, yeah, cool. Legged it down, did the recall and was like, and was literally like, is it okay if I leg it now? Because I should go back to work. Yeah. And I went back to work. Yeah. Because you have to. Like, uh, and I don't mean this, I don't mean this in a in a very interviewee way because, like, I think that's what, like, I love about the podcast. Like, this is, like, my hobby. And I get to, like, yeah. we never met before. You know, I get to, like, totally. meet someone new, get to, like, chat about things that are interesting. Um, But I think there's a lot of people listening. So, like I said, I don't mean this in, like, a, a, a radio DJ way, but I think there's a lot of people listening that would be, like, surprised as someone who's been on stuff like Moonboy, could be on, like, an RT show. The points are not on me, lads. I, I know, isn't it? But, <laughs> it, it, like, I think it's so good to get that, like, out there. Cause totally, yeah. Cause, and, th- and that's what I'm saying as well, even about social media and perception and everything. Like, the perception of loads of actors is that they're working non-stop. But as you and I both know all too well, 99% of actors aren't working non-stop. Mm-hmm. Like, there is a 1% of actors in this country who work steadily, if even. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, all of us will have times where there's big, giant gaps. And they'll be, like, yeah, like, even I hear about actors, and I'm like, oh, they're working all the time. And they haven't worked six months. Mm-hmm. But perception is a funny thing. And also, your perception of yourself is always 
particularly hard. Yeah. You're always going to be harder on yourself than you are on anybody else. I've had times where I haven't worked for a month and I've been in the absolute depths thinking I'll never work again. Mm. And I have to have my best mate or somebody be like, cop on. And to remember as well how lucky you are to get to do what it is that you do um, and how, like, it's all relative. Like, I might be pining after a job that I didn't get, but someone else will be pining after a job that I did get. Yeah. So, like, it's, it's, it's all relative and we're all in the same boat. And I think... Another nice thing about Dublin and maybe how small it is, which isn't always a good thing, but is there is a support network there. I, I found particularly in the last year or two, um, like I'm I meet up for coffee with people all the tea. I don't drink coffee mm. all the time, but like and particularly and this isn't a, a sexist thing, but particularly like my girls, like the girl crew that you build up around you, the people who are going through the same things as you, who can keep you informed about what's going on as well. I have like two, I have really close mates who get on to me and be like, are you being seen for that? Because you should be. Mm. Um, He'll just back you up. Like you don't have to, because you're going into auditions and you're seeing all the same faces. So why would you be sitting there and saying nothing? Like we're, you know, we're all in the same boat. Yeah. Um, If you're going to get it, I was never going to get it. Do you know what I mean? Because we exactly. all, you bring something different to a room. So whoever was going to get the part was always going to get the part. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be in competition with each other. You can be a support network to each other. Um, and I think, like, I um, I was brought in, was it last year, to give, like, the... not the, wasn't a commencement speech. But I was like, there, I was speech. there. Yeah, yeah for the Gainey graduates. Yeah. Um, and, like, all I could think of to say, like, I wasn't, it was nothing profound, it was nothing particularly intelligent, but all I could think of to say was to be kind to each other. Because... It's like if, if you stick at it, you have a long road ahead, and just be kind to everyone you meet. Because first of all, you don't like even from a selfish perspective, the person who you meet who mightn't be up to much now might be directing something down the line. Might be you don't know who you're talking to, mm -hmm. and, and like, um, and I I do think it'll come back to you in spades. Being kind and being generous with your time, um, with your info, yeah, <laughs> like it can't it can hurt, um, it can only it can only serve to make everybody's life a little bit easier and like the job is hard enough as it is mm. without everyone giving each other daggers across the audition room do you know what I mean yeah 100% yeah right will we do one more go for it we'll bang out one more yeah okay oh, we, we, have, we, have, we have time for a quick one chance. right okay let's do it okay let's do it I'm a in this now I'm visualising I'd love to get you 33 ah oh, it's 39 oh not even close oh, fuck whitewash no. okay I'll take hey, that you're not the first you're not the first <laughs> take comfort in that Um. okay Uh. number 39 where are we going? Uh, yeah. Uh, if you weren't the nationality you are, you're Irish, mm -hmm. what would you choose to be? Not American. <laughs> you wouldn't be American. I think I might be American. Really? Yeah, I've... I, right I, now, man? You want to be American yeah, right that's now? That's a good point. I don't know. I think I'd either be... But you see, but I'm being real narrow-minded about it. I'm, I'm thinking like that... I, I'm thinking like that I, I still want to speak English whereas I could speak like any language then potentially which yeah, would be really cool yeah you could be from anywhere I in think the world maybe I need to reassess that but I could, well no I'll be honest if you ask, were asking that my good thing would, would probably be, be American I'm real like I really like American culture obviously there's so many fucked up things about it but like I live there and I like American people yeah if you could pick the right American people yeah because it can, be, it can be kind of overwhelming 100% but like I, when I lived there like I had like some really like great great friends that I still talk to yeah and like they're the best and they have this like positivity that I'm really drawn to yeah no and it is like I, th I think it's a it's a thing that can be off-putting to the cynic in me mm. the kind of that that like overwhelming positivity yeah um, and that that sense of self-confidence as well mm. like I'd be looking giving them the eye being like alright 
but, but that's just that's that's exactly what I've been giving out about for the whole hour is like having a bit of, like that's not a bad thing to have a bit of self confidence in yourself if you can back it up with the goods like exactly then it's not it's not a bad thing and to be able to vocalize that and um, put that forward in any situation is a is a great thing but mm-hmm. I think I'd probably be like Scottish or something yeah I think they have a healthy cynicism too yeah um and our and our and our like go crack that's that's not very different from Irish though is it like I feel like there's a great affinity there with the Scottish people yeah but you like so you like being Irish I'm guessing I love being Irish yeah, yeah. and yeah. I'm and I'm extremely uh, proud to be Irish um like I've never I know when people kind of go away sometimes they tend to like I don't know like a good bit of traveling over over my life um and I think instead of picking up other people's accents my Dublin accent gets significantly thicker when I go away right. like as a defense mechanism against picking up somebody else's accent yeah um because I have friends who've moved away and they pick up little little bits and pieces of other people's accents and I'm always like whoa you're from Dublin yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> right it in um no I'm extremely proud to be Irish I mean you know we have our our problems like every country does I mean I think everybody pales in comparison to the states right now so we're looking pretty pretty rosy mm-hmm. um but yeah, and I've never been, and this is a weird thing to harp back to, but I've never ever been more proud to be Irish than the day that we voted for marriage equality. Yeah. Like I was in town that day and, and I had a real, I had this real palpable fear the night before because I'm really conscious of being in like a liberal lefty bubble yeah. with my mates and who I chat to and who I hang out with. So I, I had this real um, confidence about, about the vote passing. But then the night before I sat back and I was like, but you don't know Middle Ireland. Like you don't know people outside your bubble you don't know that many people over the age of 50 basically mm-hmm. I had this real overwhelming fear that maybe it wouldn't pass and then that, that the place would just it would just be a darker darker place that people would people would leave people would not feel comfortable people yeah. would not feel welcome um, and the day that it passed was yeah it's that's definitely the, the proudest I've ever been to be Irish it might be surpassed if McGregor beats Mayweather yeah big McGregor fan yeah yeah I think like he has his faults and I, I I'll never like I'll never um be okay with the some he says stupid shit. He mm-hmm. says stupid shit. I, I get that. I totally get that. But I feel very strongly that um we have like a an epidemic of um suicide in this country, partic- like young women and but particularly young men yeah. um taking their own lives because of a complete lack of self worth or self belief. And if there's anything that, that young fella has, it is self belief. And I think um, as an example to our young people, um, to be the underdog, to what to say, it's not, um, I'm not talented, I'm obsessed. Mm. So he didn't, like, he wasn't born this incredible fighter. He just decided he was going to work his absolute bollocks off. And like this footage of him when he was a little spotty 19 year old saying, Mm. I'm going to be this, I'm going to be UFC champion, I'm going to have two belts, I'm going to be like, and literally everything he said, he's done. Yeah. Um, And to, to have an Irish young fellow with that level of self-belief and that level of self-confidence to get to basically the height of success in his chosen field. Uh, if he beats Mayweather, he would be the most successful like, of, all, of all time. Even if he doesn't, he had yeah. the balls to do it. Oh, 100%. You know, even if he doesn't beat him, even if he gets knocked out, and I don't know. I, I don't know what the stats are like. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a total bandwagoner. I don't know anything about MMA. Right. I look at it and I, like when he knocked out Aldo, I was for about 20 seconds to know the fight was over. Yeah. Um, but I do think, like, for all his flaws, and look, everyone's coming down hard on him now. Um, but I, I do think that is that's a great example for our, for our young people to have a bit of, like, what you can do with a bit of self belief. Yeah, I think we could all do a bit more of it. Yeah, one hundred percent. That's kind of deadly way to end it. Um, 
first before I let you go, do you want? Is there anything? Obviously, you're in nowhere fast. Is there any like social media you want to plug? Any theater stuff? Any bits and bobs? Uh, um, yeah, no, nowhere fast is the big thing. That's gonna be airing uh, on RT two in November. Cool. We have the season launch this coming Thursday, um. So we'll all be big enough, Alison. Like, oh, actually, um, um, Alison Spittle has a show in Dublin Fringe. God, I like I know everyone has a show in Dublin Fringe, but mm. I think that will, that's gonna be a particularly special one. I think she's on in that the, uh, is it Bello Bar maybe yeah, yeah, yeah I think yeah, yeah. she's on a Bello Bar yeah. um, and she's she's quite the hero so if you get a chance to get along and see that I would nice one uh, do you have a Twitter do you want to plug it at Claire Monley there's only one of me good that's amazing that's nice to have your own yeah isn't it thing. Yeah. yeah nice one uh, Claire thank you so much for playing personality bingo nice one So guys, that was Claire Monley playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. A massive thank you to Claire for taking the time to do it. It was an absolute pleasure to meet you and get chatting. And I'm so excited to see Nowhere Fast soon with Headstuff's very own Alison Spittle. Guys, as I said, the live episode with Jared Regan uh, has been recorded by the time you're listening to this. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous because I'm going to go do it tonight. Don't really know how to do the whole live podcast thing, but I'm going to find out really soon because it's happening. Uh, there's been loads of tickets sold, which is great. Uh, if you managed to make it in, I massively appreciate it. And if you didn't, no worries, you're going to get it uh, out in the next couple of weeks and you will get to have a listen to all the crack that we had or the disaster that it was that's also entirely possible uh, guys other than that a massive thank you to Headstuff for all the work they do gosh the amount of stuff that they have done for myself and this podcast is incredible a massive thank you to Alan and Paddy and Sean and Laura and all the guys for the amazing work that they do also a huge huge the biggest thank you ever potentially for uh, the boss woman Taz Kelleher for mixing editing producing and being uh, the spiritual guide of personality bingo also check out her podcast in the shower with Taz and Marcus the podcast has been doing so well and it's basically they answer the big questions in life over little 15 minute chunks meant to be listened to in the shower but you can listen to them whenever um, I think I mean I have I, I, I don't listen to podcasts in the shower but everyone else does so there you go I just listen to them in my ears uh, other than that guys a massive thank you to Liam Moore and Anthony Manley for our wonderful theme music to Connor Nolan for the artwork uh, and to you guys for listening uh, it's been a wonderful ride so far and um, it kind of feels like an appropriate time to just say a big thank you because we've had our first ever live show in the Tivoli Theatre tickets sold really well uh, and that just means the world hopefully we'll get to do more and more of that kind of thing a massive thank you to Claire Monley once again and we should I'll see you next week for another episode of Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. HPN, the Headstuff Podcast Network. See headstuff.org for more details.